church, as your family here at Highland, and as we open your word, as we talk about what it means for us to connect in community with one another, uh, fill us with your spirit. Allow us to apply your word to our lives. Open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you want us to hear uh, and to change what you want us to change. Father, we want to grow in our faithfulness as followers of you. In Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but the idea of solitary confinement is kind of terrifying. Maybe you've been asked the question, uh, if you were stranded alone on a desert island, what three things would you bring? Now, I know what I'm supposed to say, my Bible, (laughs) and then can I bring my wife and maybe a satellite phone to call all of us and we can all party on a tropical island together, right? I I don't want to be alone. Now, maybe some of you here resonate with Southwest Airlines and you just want to get away, right? And maybe you want to get away and be alone for a day or a week. Maybe that sounds great. But I promise that to a point, none of us would want to be alone forever. Isolation would make all of us at some point go crazy. And in the 19th century in in Europe, uh, the predominant belief was that criminal activity was a communicable disease. In other words, being a criminal was a germ. Now, we know that's not true today, but you can imagine some of the practices that came from this sort of a a belief. You definitely didn't want a criminal to infect a non-criminal, and you definitely didn't want criminals to share germs with other criminals, and that had some practices in the penitentiary system. There was one prison in particular in the uh, 19th century in Ireland that practiced some extreme forms of solitary confinement. Prisoners were isolated in their single-person rooms for up to 22 hours a day. They didn't go to the dining hall for meals. They came back to their single cell, or they stayed in their cell. That's where they brought the food. And even when they needed exercise, they would walk in a circle in the yard 10 feet behind the person in front of them. So there was no chance of contact. Even kids who were imprisoned for petty theft were kept in this form of confinement. It's no surprise that prisoners often came out of this prison in worse shape than when they went in. And even in our country today, we know that that criminal activity isn't a germ, but solitary confinement still exists in our our criminal system today. I was reading an article not that long ago about a 22-year-old man uh, who spent the large part of the next two decades of his life in solitary confinement in prison. But he so badly longed for human interaction that when he was in confinement, he would often harm himself. He would mutilate himself to the point of needing medical attention so that he would have some level of human interaction. And you can imagine, that didn't help him get released from prison anytime sooner. It was this continual downward spiral. But at the end of the day, all he wanted was a friend. And my guess is that we can resonate with that just a little bit. Maybe we're there today. Maybe we've been there before. All we wanted was a friend. All we want is a friend. And that's because God created us in his image. And part of what it means for us to be image bearers is that he's created us to be in relationships. He's created us to be in community with one another. But when that need goes unmet, it leads to isolation. It leads to pain. It leads to loneliness. We need community. Thankfully, none of us are here today living in solitary confinement, right? We're, we're here with hundreds of other friends today. But we know that just sitting next to someone doesn't create community. 
It's possible for us to feel alone in a world of 7 billion people. It's possible for us to feel alone even when we have 1,000 friends on Facebook or 100 followers on Instagram. It's possible for us to feel alone at a church of 1,000 people. Why? Because community relationships, it's deeper than just sitting next to someone. It takes a little more intentionality than that. I think sometimes we think that technology is just this magic tool that's going to bring us closer together, but oftentimes technology does the opposite. Because when we create that Facebook profile or that Instagram account, we can create this false persona of who we want people to think that we are. But at the end of the day, no one actually knows who we are. No one knows us. And technology can leave us even lonelier than we were before. But God's created us to live in community. He's created us to have relationships, and that's one of his greatest gifts to us as his followers. But how often does that gift go unopened? So if you want our message in one sentence today, here it is. God promises blessing when we dwell in community. God promises blessing when we dwell in community. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 133. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. The words will also be behind me on the screen. And I'm just going to warn you now, we're going to read this entire psalm in its entirety. It's going to take us the rest of our message this morning uh, to read the psalm. Once you turn there, you'll realize that it's only three verses long. So thank you, three of you, for laughing at my joke. I appreciate that. But you'll notice when you turn there that the, the header of this psalm says, A Song of Ascents of David. And then we've got to unpack that because that helps us understand what this psalm is, what it's talking about. Now, you remember that the people of Israel, the Jews, they would often travel to Jerusalem to worship God in community at, at one of the annual festivals. They'd come from all over the nation to go to Jerusalem. And you'll also remember that Jerusalem is on top of a hill. It's a thousand feet above the surrounding area. So no matter if you came from the north, the south, the east, or the west, you always went up to Jerusalem. So there's this collection of psalms, uh, and this is right in the middle of it, these 15 psalms that are called the Song of Ascents. Specifically, these are the songs that the, the Israelites would sing in community, in the congregation, on their way to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. Because remember, the, the psalms are the hymnal of the people of Israel, and these are the songs they would sing literally on their drive in to church. And then the authorship is ascribed to David. And, you know, I can't think of a better person to talk about community, to talk about relationships from the Old Testament than David. You'll remember David's friendship with this best friend, Jonathan. I mean, what a picture of sacrifice and unconditional love towards one another. But then you look at the other side, and David also knew the pain of animosity. I mean, his, his king, Saul, was constantly trying to kill him, constantly trying to end his life. David knew the beauty of that friendship and that relationship, but also the pain of animosity. And out of that background, I think David writes this psalm. So allow me to read this for us. Just follow along with me. I'll read the whole thing. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord's commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's start just by looking at that first verse. We'll dig in there. 
how good and pleasant it is when brothers, it really could say brothers and sisters. This isn't just talking about men. It's talking about our, our relationship as Christ's followers. And remember, this is in a church context. They're on their way up to worship. He's not talking about human relationships in general. Specifically, this is fellow worshipers of God. This applies to us as, as Christians, as part of the family at Highland. It's a good thing. It's a pleasant thing when we as a church family live and dwell in unity. Because as Christ followers, we have the deepest common foundation, deeper than a love for the Packers, deeper than common hobbies, deeper than similar vocations. For us as Christ followers, our foundation is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity living and dwelling inside of us. That's the deepest bond that we could have. It's the Spirit that brings us together as Christ followers. But we know that in our relationships with one another, (laughs) they're not always smooth sailing, are they? Things aren't always perfect. Sometimes there's pain. Sometimes there's brokenness. Sometimes there's animosity in our relationships with other believers. Why is that? Sin. None of us are perfect. We all still struggle with sin. There's all still at least a little bit of brokenness in our hearts. And, and the brokenness that exists in our relationships, even with one another, is a result of the fall. There's going to be this constant uphill battle as we fight for unity, as we fight for community, as we fight for togetherness. But God has given us His Holy Spirit. So there's hope in our relationships with one another. And when we compare that verse to our human experience, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, I think we can affirm that it's true. When things are going great, when there's togetherness, when there's not conflict in our relationships, things are great. But the opposite is also true. When there's there's animosity, when we're hitting heads with another believer, we get stressed, we get anxious, our blood pressure rises. Remember a couple years ago, I was kind of at a conflict with someone that I saw on a nearly daily basis that went unresolved for months. You can picture what this looked like. If we saw each other in the hall, we'd walk the opposite direction, and my blood pressure would rise, my heart would race, I'd get anxious. But finally, we sat down and had a conversation, and we apologized and reconciled that relationship, and it was amazing the peace that just one conversation brought. It's a good thing, it's a pleasant thing when Christ's followers dwell in unity. So when there's a divide, when there's a break in our relationships with another Christ follower, then we need to do our best to bring restoration, to bring peace to that relationship. It's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all or live at peace with everyone. Now, is it possible that maybe we're in conflict with someone and and the other person doesn't want to reconcile? Yeah, that's a possibility, but I think that's probably the minority That if we feel a conflict with someone, even if we are only 10% at fault in that conflict, we need to own our 10% and go to that brother and that that sister and apologize and make things right. Or even if we feel that tension, if we feel that divide with another Christ follower, and we're not sure why, we can still go to that believer and say, you know, I feel like there's a break in our our relationship. I want to make this right. What can we do to reconcile and to restore our relationship? God's desire, His design is for us to resolve our conflict. And that's a redemptive process because we're restoring that relationship to the way that God designed. Conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen because 
we all still struggle with sin at some point. But when we restore those relationships, when we resolve that conflict, then we're restoring the relationship to the way that God designed it to be. Resolving conflict is a good thing. And we're working through our our mission and our vision statement, right? Connect, grow, go, take the next step in your walk with Christ. But that first step is what we're talking about today, right? Connect. But when there's pain, when there's animosity, when there's brokenness, when there's conflict in our relationship with one another, then we're not going to accomplish our mission. It's going to be really hard for us to serve with one another, to, to go hand in hand for the sake of the gospel, to advance God's kingdom. It's not going to happen if there's this. So step one in accomplishing our mission as a church is to restore those relationships with one another. We need to be a church family that walks together in unity. And as we continue in our passage, the first verse makes sense. And then David uses a couple, uses a couple similes that don't make much sense to us. He says that unity is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. That might be a little confusing. So I thought to demonstrate this, Pastor Dave could come up and we could take some olive oil and we could dump it on his head. Okay, we won't do that. This is foreign to us, but this was the opposite of foreign to the people of Israel because anointing oil was used time and time again in the Old Testament. Think of Moses and Aaron and his sons. When Moses anointed Aaron as the first high priest of the people of Israel, what did he do? He anointed him with oil on his head and running down on his robes. And it was a sign, it was a symbol that Aaron was set apart as a high priest. There was no going back. There was no going back to his old life. He was the high priest of the people of Israel. And then as we continue through the Old Testament, we see that same oil being used time and time again. For example, my favorite Bible character, Samuel, anointed Saul and David as king using the oil. And then you look at the New Testament, think of James, where he encourages elders of the church to anoint the sick with oil in the name of the Lord. Is the oil magical? Is it supernatural? No. But the oil, it's a sign. It's a symbol that we're set apart for God's special purpose, that there's no going back. It's a sign. It's a symbol that the the sick believer is set apart for God's special care. That's what the oil means. It's a sign. It's a symbol of being set apart. Now, that makes sense, but how in the world does that connect to Christian unity? Because you and I, we haven't been set apart as high priests And a lot of us probably have never been anointed with oil before. But God has still set us apart for a purpose, hasn't he? Think of what he said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Andrew just talked about that a couple weeks ago. He's commanded us to advance his kingdom and to spread the gospel throughout the world. We have been set apart for a purpose. And that's what David is saying here. Part of our purpose as Christ's followers, part of what sets us apart from the world around us is our unity, is our togetherness, is our community, which is an amazing picture. And even David takes it a step farther. When we walk in unity, when we walk in togetherness, we're fulfilling our calling to the world around us. We're living as witnesses that when the world sees us, they should see something different in us because of how we walk in unity. So what Jesus said to his disciples, this is how you'll know if you're my disciples, if you love one another. Or that chorus that we used to sing, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Love and unity go hand in hand, don't they? And when we walk in love, when we walk in unity as followers of Christ, then 
the world around us can see that we're different. They can see Christ in us because of our unity. Because when we turn on the news today, unity is not in the top 100 characteristics of our our world, is it? When people disagree, either they yell at each other or they ignore each other. But may that not be the case here. That even if we disagree over a, a secondary issue, understanding that we can still walk together for the sake of the gospel. So what type of impression are we leaving on the world around us? When they see us as Highland Community Church, do they see something different? How do we talk about other believers? Maybe we're at at work or we're at the gym. If we're gossiping about another believer to someone that doesn't know Christ, that's not being a good example of our togetherness, of our unity. Or how do we talk about other churches? When we speak negatively about another church in our community, we're fighting against our own team. One of the things I love about the Wausau area is we have so many gospel teaching faithful churches, and we want to speak highly of our brothers and sisters that are worshiping at another good church. Or when someone walks into the doors of our church here at Highland for the first time, what do they think? Do they feel something different? Do they sense something different? And that's, I I hope so, and that shouldn't be because we're perfect. That's not because we have it all together, because we don't. But I hope that they can see the difference of our unity, of our togetherness, because we have a desire to fulfill our special calling, to connect in community. Because when we walk in unity, when we live as a family, we're fulfilling our calling as Christ followers. Then in the next verse, David uses another, another simile that's a little foreign to us. He says, Christian unity is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. And we might ask, who in the world is Hermon? Well, it's a what, not a who. Hermon was a mountain in northern Israel that was some 10,000 feet above sea level. It was a picture of life to the people of Israel because in the summer it was always green and flourishing. In the winter there was often snow on the top of the mountain. If you've been to Israel, it's not what we would call a tropical jungle. It's a little more like a desert. But they still depended a lot on agriculture in their society. So Mount Hermon was a picture of life. It was where water came from for them to water their crops and sustain life. Because we know that without water, plants die. And, you know, I've learned this time and time and again in my life. I have the opposite of a green thumb. I have three living plants in my office, and there's only one reason that they're alive. This is because Hannah waters them. <laughs> Every time she comes by the church, she always waters the plants. Otherwise, they would have been dead months and months ago. But I learned uh, this lesson the hard way when I lived in Southern California. I moved into a townhouse with a couple friends, and um, there's just some beautiful landscaping in, in the front of this townhouse. And there was a sprinkler system. And I thought, great, sprinkler system doesn't need to be turned on or anything, right? It'll just work. Um, And it was probably two months later, I I walked out the front door and looked to my left uh, and my right, and uh, something didn't look quite right. And the plants were just totally dead. Um, And we lost probably a couple hundred dollars worth of landscaping because we didn't water the plants, because I didn't water the plants. Right? And, and we know how that works. Without water, plants die. And that's the picture that David's providing here. Without Christian community, without togetherness, then we're going to wither up 
as well. We need real life-giving relationships with one another. So that's the second simile there. And I'm not sure how we walked in the door this morning. Maybe some of us feel like, wow, I'm doing great in this area. I have a ton of Christian friends. Maybe others of us feel alone and isolated, thinking all I want is a friend. But wherever we are on that spectrum, there's room for all of us to grow in our love for one another, in our community, in our relationships with one another. So I've got a couple ideas on how we can grow in our Christian community. So first, community compels authenticity. Community compels authenticity. It's important for us as followers of Christ to tear down that wall of perfection that's so easy for us to portray to one another. None of us are perfect. We know that. But sometimes it's easy for us to pretend like we are. Now, I'm not advocating for a public confession of sin on one of these microphones after the service or a confession in a a Facebook post later today. That's not what I'm suggesting. But instead, we need someone in our life that knows us, that knows our struggles, that knows our temptations, that knows what we've gone through, that knows what questions to ask us and how to encourage us in our walk with Christ. Part of Christian community is being authentic and having that brother and that sister or that sister that we can confess our sins to that can hold us accountable. Maybe that's something that we need to add this week in our life, what we maybe call an accountability partner. Just by way of practicality, here's a couple ideas on how we could uh, allow something like that to happen in our life. First, we need a mature Christ follower to be our accountability partner, someone that we can trust. And we probably don't want to just dive in the deep end right away. We want to start incrementally and, and begin sharing through time. We want to make sure that person we're sharing deep things with is is trustworthy. We probably want that accountability partner to be someone of the same gender. There's a lot of struggles that we have that could be gender specific, and I think it's just prudent, it's wise for us to have that deep relationship be someone of the same gender. You know, it might just start with a coffee meeting, asking somebody after church today, hey, could we grab coffee this week? Or could we grab lunch this week? Could we grab breakfast this week? And begin to ask, maybe this could be the person that I start to share some of those deeper things with. And if it doesn't work, that's great. Try somebody else. But we need those meaningful relationships. And oftentimes, they don't just come knocking on our door. Sometimes we need to take that step. Because true gospel-centered accountability, it needs to be filled with prayer. Not just praying when we meet together, but but praying throughout the week. And that can be when we use technology to our advantage. Texting our friend, our brother, our sister, and saying, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you this week? True gospel-centered accountability is more than just a confession of sin. Instead of asking, how did you sin? How did you mess up this past week? We need to be proactive. We need to look ahead and say, how can we grow this next week? How can we prevent sin in our life this week? How have you done in your Bible reading and in your prayer? We want to do more than just address sin. We want to talk about what it means for us to grow in our relationship with Christ. Because we don't have to fight alone. We don't have to go through struggles and trials alone. We don't have to battle sin alone. When we have that brother, that sister that can fight alongside of us, then we can begin to experience victory. We can find joy in those deep, meaningful relationships. But more than just those one-on-one relationships, it's important for us to do life in some sort of a a small group. 
And it's not a secret that Highland is not a small church. And sometimes it can be easy maybe to feel like we get lost in a larger church. But a great way to prevent that is through a small group. That's an important life aspect of our church. And I think we see that modeled really well in the book of Acts. I just want to read a couple verses there from Acts chapter 2. I'll start in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Well, I think the obvious application from this text is we should probably all sell our homes, build some bunk beds in here, and we could just move in to Highland Community Church, right? Okay, maybe not. That's not what he's talking about. But we've got to understand the principle here that community compels generosity. Community compels generosity. If we want to have deep, authentic relationships with one another, we've got to be generous. And that doesn't always mean with our money, but it certainly means with our time. That if we want to prioritize relationships, then it's going to take sacrifice. And even in that first verse, we see what the brothers and sisters in the early church did. They did four things, one of which was breaking of bread. And when we hear that, we usually think, oh, that's, that's talking about communion, the Lord's Supper. And that could be what it's talking about, but I think it's talking about something even more general than that. This is just simply talking about a potluck or having people in one another's homes for a meal. There's just something incredibly personal about having someone in our kitchen for a meal. A lot of times it's easier for us to go out to lunch or go out to dinner, but it's hard for us to be perfect in our own homes, isn't it? People get to know us for who we are in our home. And uh, Hannah and I learned this the hard way a couple weeks ago. We had a couple over from our uh, young adult group, and as the four of us were just hanging out around the kitchen table, and it's probably four months ago now, Hannah and I got a puppy. Her name is Phoebe. She loves her mom, and she sort of likes her dad, and, um, and she's, just, she's a great dog. Well, we finished dinner with this couple, and uh, we're starting to play a game, and the young lady looks up at us and says, I think my foot's wet. <laughs> and sure enough, we... Uh, pulled our chairs back and looked under the table, and there was this massive puddle. And Hannah and I are thinking, she never does this. She's never had an accident in the dining room before. She never does this when guests are over. And it was really embarrassing. Never before have we offered guests a clean pair of socks, right? (laughs) And we laughed about it, and uh, it's hard for us to be perfect in our own homes. But who wants a perfect friend? (laughs) I don't. We want real friends. And it's easy for us to be transparent when we have those relationships inside our own home. I know some of you are really good at that, inviting people over into your home. And maybe that's something we all could grow in this week. Maybe there's a couple that you've really wanted to get to know, or an individual you've really wanted to get to know. Maybe this week could just mean inviting them over. Having them over for dinner, or if dinner's too big of a step, then maybe dessert and games. And just to build the bond of that relationship. Because we don't need to be perfect. We just need to be genuine. 
And that might happen a little bit spontaneously, but our community together doesn't always need to be spontaneous. Sometimes it needs to be intentional. And there's, it's not an accident then that our, our small groups at Highland are called life groups. Bless you. Life groups are a way for us to do life together. More than just talking about a sermon, uh, more than just doing a video study together, a life group is that built-in group of friends to watch the game with or to shovel each other's driveway this afternoon or to text when things are are not going well and then to say, you know, I, I need some prayer. Life groups are a great way for us to dive into that intentional community together. And you know, maybe you're not part of a small group, a men's Bible study, women's Bible study, or a life group, and maybe that would be a great application from our time together this morning to check out Connect Girl Go or our Highland Happenings document, call the office and see what groups are open. Or maybe we could just start a new group. You're not part of a life group. Maybe you can think of a couple other people or some other couples that you want to be in community with, and you could just say, hey, what if we start our own study? What if we start our own life group? And as a church, we would be happy to provide resources and infrastructure for you to do that. A life group is a great intentional way for us to be involved in community together. Now, additionally, we need to remember the context of our psalm. This was the church community. This is in the context of congregational worship as they were on their way to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. That's our third principle. Community compels consistency. Community compels consistency. It's so important for us to prioritize being together on a Sunday morning. Because we have the privilege, we have the opportunity to open God's Word together, to sing together, to be together as a church family. It's exactly what Paul talked about in Ephesians 5. We need to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, making, uh, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I love this passage because Paul talks about three different worship styles, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which helps remind us that the style is secondary to the God that we worship. Because when we come together on on Sunday morning, we get to do something special. We're taking part in thousands of year-old tradition by, by singing and by opening God's Word. I mean, think about it. How many other groups of people in our country or in our world gather together once a week to sing together and listen to a lecture? Nobody, right? When you think of it that way, it sounds a little strange. But this is a gift that God has given to us. Think of the worship time. I love music. I love good music. And music, it has a way of stirring our heart, stirring our emotion in a way that words can't express. But worship is more than music, isn't it? When we sing together on a Sunday morning, we're combining the power, the beauty of, of music with the intellect with the theology, with the words that we're singing, we're engaging both our mind and our heart, and we put those two together, something amazing happens, something that we can't even express. It's congregational worship. More than just something we do alone, singing together in community, engaging, worshiping our great God together. And this sort of intentional worship, it requires engagement. It doesn't just mean uh, showing up on a Sunday morning. We have to engage our heart. Maybe that means even before church, 
We take some extra time to pray and to prepare our heart to worship God and to hear from His Word. Maybe it means we start listening to that worship playlist on, on Spotify as soon as we wake up on a, on a Sunday morning. Or we listen to worship music on our drive in. We need to be a church family that prioritizes being together on Sunday. Because every time we miss a Sunday morning, we miss an opportunity to worship. We miss an opportunity to be together in community. It was a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to East Asia on a mission trip. And on a Sunday morning, I got to go to an underground church. The country that we were in, Christianity was not legal. There wasn't necessarily a direct threat to these believers, uh, but gathering together was still not allowed. And I got to lead worship at this underground church. Brought my guitar, and we sang together. And I didn't speak their language. They didn't speak my language. But we knew some of the same songs. And I sang as the deer in English, and they sang it in, in their language. It was incredible. What a picture of eternity when people from every tribe and tongue and nation will sing worthy is the lamb, right? But what really stuck out to me with these brothers and sisters in East Asia is there was nowhere else they wanted to be that Sunday morning except with those believers. Even though there was a risk of them being together, they were eager, they were excited, they were expectant to meet together with the Lord. And maybe there's something we could learn from these brothers and and sisters. There's not a risk, a danger for us gathering together this morning, except maybe a snowy drive home. So please don't drive down Steepy. Go the other direction, right? But beyond that, there's not that much risk for us to be here. But we can still have that same eagerness, that same expectation of meeting with the Lord together. Because what we're doing this morning is not just something that we do here on earth. Engaging in worship together is going to be an eternal endeavor. And that's the context of our psalm. I mean, think of the last verse, how how David ends the psalm. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life, forevermore. Singing together, hearing God's word together, living in community together, it starts today and then it goes on for the rest of eternity. But engaging in that community isn't just something we'll do in eternity. It starts today. Because God has promised a blessing when we dwell in community. His desire and His design is for us to engage today. So what's that going to look like this week in our lives? How can we grow in connecting in community? I think oftentimes long-term change, it doesn't happen in one huge decision, but it happens in those small, regular choices, the little habits that we begin to build. So what's one thing that we can do this week? Just one. Maybe one person that we can invite out to coffee, or one family we can invite over to our home, or one life group that we can check out. Or one conversation we can have as a family to to prioritize family worship or or congregational worship. What's one thing that God is calling us to do? One conversation that we could have to reconcile a relationship with the believer. One thing. God's desire, His design is for us to live in community. One of God's greatest gifts to us is sitting right next to you this morning. He's given us the gift of one another. Let's open that gift 
this week. Let's pray. Father, you've been so good to us to give us salvation, to give us the hope of eternity. And then you've given us one another to encourage one another, to support one another, to hold each other accountable, and to fill us with greater hope and expectation for the day that we will be with Jesus. So Father, give each one of us one thing that we can do this week, something that we can do to apply your word to our our lives, to be intentional, to connect in community. Father, thank you for the gift of one another. In Jesus' name, amen.